Uh, my name is Todd Perkins, and uh, this is the second time that I've been blessed to be able to come speak to you guys, so I guess I did it okay last time and uh, uh, get to do it again. Uh, my wife is here. This is Brooke, and then that, that was my sister on the microphone and my, my brother leading worship, and I would adopt the other two, but uh, you know we, we do know each other a little bit, but probably not well enough for that to happen. Uh, but a uh, big happy family moment here today for me uh, to be able to come and talk to you guys. Uh, really do want to uh, just let you know, man, there's some good news coming this morning, okay? Some relief coming, uh, some rest. I, it, we're going to have to actually go through something that feels like it's burdensome, and you might be going like, man, I thought he said this was going to be good news, uh, but we'll, we'll get there together, okay? Um, one of the things that God has led me to, and, and Jeremy really has a part to play in my story of church planning because a long time ago, Jeremy, how long has, has this been going on? Like six years? You guys have been at it eight years, 10 years, 10 years, man, we're getting old, dude. Uh, 10 years ago, Jeremy uh, began his journey for church planning. Uh, and I just began it like a year ago. So, but if you backed up before, like the really pulling the trigger on planning the church, which I'm doing now in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, the journey of sort of like exploring what church planning looked like, uh, Jeremy was pioneering that, and he really helped me get connected to some really great people, a uh, network of people that just really helped uh, to work through, wrestle through, and, and really understand what it looks like to plant a church. So I've, I've got fond memories of Jeremy and I doing ministry together here in Augusta. Uh, he's the, uh, the riffraff king. You know, what did you do? Everything, riffraff king stuff. I always want to bring it up because it just makes me smile and happy. Uh, there's just history with Jeremy and I, and I'm really glad that uh, he's calling me back and letting me uh, talk to you guys today. Uh, a, a shared vision that I believe Jeremy would resonate with. He probably puts it in different terms, and I probably should have done my homework to hear the terms he puts it in. But the, the thing that I want to do, when I, when I look at the sign on the front door and it says gospel, community, and mission, those are the things that I want my church to have. I want people, here are my kind of like catchwords. Every pastor in church has these words that they want you to know. This is for my church, so not your church, but my church, although I, I bet you'll like it. All right, here it is. I want people to discover, demonstrate, and declare the gospel of Jesus together. That's, that's what I'm helping to cultivate and work on is laying a foundation so people can ongoing throughout their lives, no matter who they are, a doubter, a seeker, a follower of Jesus. They're on a path and a journey to discover more of Jesus, to learn what it looks like to demonstrate Jesus to the people in their lives, and then to even be able to declare the goodness of Jesus to the people that are around them. That's, that's the heart and soul, the motive in what I'm doing. And not only do I want to see that happen in Greenville, South Carolina, but we want to help plant other churches that do the same thing, that replicate the gospel, that, that do it in the context of community, not just large gatherings, but small gatherings where people are known, and that do it with a mission in mind. And I know that's, that's similar, that's a, a shared value between our church, and I just want you to know that it would be, it would be deeply appreciated if you would pray that the things that you see happening here in Augusta at, at Redemption, the, the things that are happening here, that you would pray that they would happen in Greenville for the church that, that I'm helping to plant, that God's really allowing me to plant over the next couple of months. God's doing some things, bringing people together, and we're excited because what we're finding as we continue to dig into the gospel, uh, we find that the depth of the, the gospel just keeps going deeper. 
you know, you, you have this mindset that like when you come into an understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how Jesus laid down his life for you and forgives you of all sins, that that gospel idea is sort of like maybe step one to the Christian life and then you go on to deeper things. But the truth is we're not made to move on from that gospel message, but deeper into that gospel message. That's what God calls us to. That's what scriptures lead us to. To not just say, yeah, I accepted Jesus and I know the story of salvation, but to rehearse that and to know it deeper and deeper in our hearts in new and meaningful ways. And what I'm finding is as I see that happen, I begin to notice that as it happens, not just in my life and my wife's life and and the people around us as we're sharing the gospel with one another, what we begin to see is something begins to emerge And I began to kind of like think of how to communicate this. And so I thought I'd use this example because it's pretty familiar with you. Uh, Any of you guys have a boat uh, because I'd like to come visit and we could ride on the boat together? No boat owners here? Oh, man, that's disappointing. Jeremy, you guys should collect some money and buy a boat. It would be just wonderful. Have you ever ridden on a boat? If I drew a picture of a boat, would you know what I was talking about? We know boats, right? All right. So boats, right? You get on the water and everybody, you know where I'm going here. This is what you do. You get on the boat and the boat starts going through the water. And then behind you, as the boat goes, there's this thing called a wake, right? And it's, it sort of makes a V. The little bubbles are going and the waves are coming. And if you have a tube on the back of the boat, that's where all the real fun action takes place, right? So here we are. Uh, And what I want to do is I want to try to help you think through as a church embraces the message and the truths of the gospel, not as just this one time I have received the gospel and now I grow on move on to other things. But no, I'm moving deeper and deeper and deeper into the truths of the gospel. What the gospel will do for the church will be like a wake. And that's going to look like something particular. And I'm actually going to use the Bible to kind of help us kind of look at and answer the question, what does the wake of the gospel look like? But before we do that, we're going to kind of take a journey through another filter of reading through the scripture that's pretty common to us here in the Bible Belt South. Uh, And if you've grown up in any kind of church environment, you'll find this to all feel very familiar and maybe it might make you a little sick. But don't worry, we're going to recover. We're going to get back to the good news that relieves us. So before we get going, I want to ask you to pray. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the goodness that we've already proclaimed through song, God, that you're our king, that you've done everything necessary to redeem us out of the darkness, out of the disappointment, out of our own bondage, out of our own brokenness. God, all of the work necessary to fix us is accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. And that is good news, God. It's not up to us. It's not on our shoulders. We don't have to pull this thing off, God. If we're honest, we're just not. We're not cutting it. But God, you knew we wouldn't cut it. You knew that we weren't pulling it off and we couldn't pull it off. And you speak words of grace to us. God, you speak words of mercy and you say, I love you. And I forgive you. And that love and that forgiveness is never ending and never stopping. It is unchanging. It is always and forever. And God, it is not contingent on what I do or don't do or how I do what I do. It's contingent on the character of you, God. And your character is perfect in love. And God, that love, that perfect love, cast out all the fear that I keep carrying around every day. Thank you, God, for the wonderful freedom and liberty that comes in the gospel. 
We pray that this morning becomes an awakening for us to begin to see your word in a totally new way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm reading out of the book of Acts today, and I don't know if you have familiarity with the story of Acts, but Acts comes uh, after the gospel accounts, and the gospel accounts are all about Jesus, his, his birth, even pre-birth, his life, uh, all the miracles, his teaching, uh, the controversy with the religious crowd, the Pharisees and Sadducees, how they all accused him, his death, and then his resurrection, a commissioning to his followers to say, take this good thing that I am doing for you and help other people know how to do it. He said, go make disciples, and that's what that's all about. Help make followers of Jesus. And so then Jesus ascends into heaven, and then that's sort of where like the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they kind of come to a close with that story. If you haven't read them, all of them are good. All of them are given accounts of the same event, so it's a little bit different, but all of them are on the same page. I would highly encourage you to read it. If you wanted to read one and then just move right over into Acts, you could read Luke, because that's right before it. No, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We'll do John. But Luke connects to Acts in the sense that they're authored by the same person. Luke wrote the book of Luke, the gospel account of Luke, and Luke wrote the book of Acts. So it's sort of like book one, book two. When we get to Acts, it's post-Jesus, after his ascension, and and then the disciples are sort of waiting around because they don't quite really know what they're supposed to do. They've gathered together. It was about a group almost this size, and they were praying together. And all of a sudden, this is in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit shows up, which is like a brand new experience. We don't really see this happening until this moment. And they begin to be so inspired by God that they're proclaiming the goodness of God to everyone that's around them, so much so that they start going outside, and it was a little more populated than what we would do if we went outside now. But they were, they were sharing the gospel and sharing good news about who God is and what he's done, uh, even in languages that they weren't familiar with, but other people could hear and understand. And it, it began to obviously draw a crowd in a highly densely populated area, all these people talking about God, people talking in languages that maybe they're not supposed to be able to talk in, but now they're talking in it, and this is all in Acts chapter 1. And then all of a sudden, a guy stands up and starts kind of taking charge of maybe what seems like a little bit of a confusing moment because of too many people talking at the same time. And his name is Peter, and he's one of the followers of Jesus, and he starts telling the story of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. He makes statements like this. It says in Acts, this is in Acts chapter 2, that Jesus did mighty works and wonders from God. He's talking about Jesus to the people. He talks about Jesus' crucifixion and that his death was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, what might that definite plan and foreknowledge of God entail? It entails the knowledge of the fact that humanity is under a curse. It's called sin. We don't naturally do things right. You have children. You don't have to teach them to be bad. They just kind of already know how to be bad. They figure that kind of stuff out. Selfishness is just ingrained in our identity. And, And that selfishness and that improper way of responding to life that that every one of us carries with us that is called sin it's a it's a brokenness it's yes sometimes it might look like rebellion but man a lot of times it looks like just not even knowing what the right thing to do is and simply responding to life out of a filter of this is what i feel like is right at this time because it feels right and all of that brokenness that goes on god knew definite foreknowledge and and uh, plan of God was aware of our brokenness, was 
aware of our inability as human beings to fix ourselves, to fix the real problem, because most of the time we can't even identify the real problem, and aware of a desperate need for someone to step in and fix the mess that we keep making with our lives. All right, That's the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Humanity is a, a train wreck of decision-making brokenness and requires something or someone to restore them back into a state where they can be whole and right and good. And left to themselves, there is no way they're pulling this off. That's, that's the Old Testament exposed. That's, that's what our state is without God. We need someone to step in, and God knew that we needed him. And so he sent us Jesus, and Peter's explaining this. He also talks about the resurrection of Jesus and the exalted state that Jesus stands He proclaims Jesus to be both Lord and Christ, which is Messiah, which is promised one, which resonates with the Jewish people because they've been looking for this guy for a while and they thought Jesus might be it, but his death scared them. But they didn't know he had risen again until there was a proclamation of his resurrection. And then they began to kind of tap into the idea that maybe, just maybe, God had come to save the day. And Peter is making that message known. Look. The messed upness that we all face, Jesus is here to restore, and he's going to make all things right. Now, the people in Acts chapter 2 respond to that gospel proclamation by being, the Bible says, they're cut to the heart, which is an interesting word. I mean, they're, they're gut-wrenched, they're, they're ready, they're eager to receive this message. They hear it and they say, what must we do? They're ready to respond to the gospel message. And Peter says, look, repent, which just means change, change your mind, believe and be baptized and be follow the way. Peter invites them into a community of broken people because that's all there are. There's only broken people. There are no whole people. We're all messed up. Peter sends this invitation out and says, look, if you'll re- here's what God has done. He has sent his son, Jesus, who has died sacrificially for you to deliver you out of darkness and into light. And if you'll receive that message, you broken people, then come into this community of people that is receiving that message and, and walk with us as we walk with Jesus. Now, that's Luke's testimony of post-resurrection, post-ascension of Jesus. The Holy Spirit shows up news of God, Peter makes it very clear that this good news rests on the person and work of Jesus, and as the message of the gospel is received, the people rally around because their hearts are stirred, and they say, what do we need to do to to be involved in that? Because we need redemption, we need forgiveness, we need help. And Peter says, come come be part of a community of people that are going to figure that out. And guys, that's the beginning, that's the formation, that's church, Okay? Church is not a building, it's not a meeting, it's the people. The people of God who recognize they need God's redemptive work working for them. That's the church. You are the church. I I am the church. It's not an organization, it's not a, a board, it's not a program, it's us. A whole bunch of broken, messed up, silly people that do things wrong a lot of the time in need of God who is full of grace and mercy to forgive and love and restore us. And we're all on that journey. That's where we are as a people. We need 
daily, the reminder of the gospel, discovering, demonstrating, and declaring it to one another so that we can learn just how great of a God we have and we serve. Luke gives this account, and that's up to verse 41. Now, if you have your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screen. We're reading, and I'm actually going to be teaching from Luke 2, 42 through 47. But before I read it, here's what I want you to know. This event, as Luke is giving the account, he's not writing the Bible in real time, okay? So, like, this is not like a day-by-day, hour-by-hour account. This is post-event Luke's recalling and saying, what is it that's gone down? Just like anyone else would do if they go back and be like, you know what, I need to write about how this went down in my life. Luke wrote that way. So it isn't an immediate, as soon as those people heard and repented and believed, and all of a sudden it looks like this. What Luke's doing in verses 42 through 47 is recalling and evaluating and making an assessment about what's the best way that I can describe what this community of people who are following Jesus look like. And so now we enter into the scripture aware of the fact that this is a description, okay? This is Luke thinking and being like, what did it look like when we first heard the gospel and we were rallied around the gospel? Here's what it looks like. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention or really listening. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I will read it trying to listen, but I somehow just don't listen. But look, look what's going on. Luke is describing something that I think we're all looking for in terms of a community of people when it comes to the gospel. Because Luke kicks it off by saying, like, they were, they were devoted to the apostles. Teaching, wouldn't that be good if we were all devoted to God's word? Wouldn't that be not, isn't that what you want, a church devoted to God's word? You should. This is a good thing. Bible's authoritative, we need it. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. Wouldn't it be great to be part of a church where everybody loved each other and were friends with one another and there was like real, authentic relationships going on? Yeah, 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 that's what we want. They were breaking bread together daily. Wouldn't it be great if we could have donuts every time we got together and just broke those donuts between one another? I love donuts. It's not just about bread. It's about eating together and fellowshipping together because that's what they were talking about, fellowship, right? And prayer, what if, what if we had real prayer in a community of that? And what if signs and wonders were being done? And what if we were all on the same page and we were unified and we were just doing amazing things together and we were giving away our possessions because we don't even care anymore because Jesus is good and that's all that matters. This is this great thing and people just keep getting on board because this is what the church should be, right? That's what we, we should want that. And that's what's happening here in the Bible. Now, remember when I told you about the boat and the wake? Okay. Listen, listen up. What happens when the gospel begins to move on a people is this right here. As a byproduct of the gospel itself. Now, our great tendency as a people, church people especially, is to take scripture and this idea, even what I just said right here, and then say, okay, There's a bunch of things that we need to work on now to really 
start looking like this kind of church that the Bible describes that we want to be part of. And what I'm here to tell you is what we're actually doing is we're creating a law out of what God wants to do as a gift. So we'll read this passage of Scripture, and I'm actually going to take us through and let us kind of walk through this together. Look, when it says in verse 42, it says, Devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. All right, really the key word there is devoted. And so what we'll do is we'll be like, all right, time to make an assessment about the health of our church and my life. Am I truly devoted to the apostles' teaching? We'll just call that the Bible. Do I, am I truly devoted to the Bible, to fellowship, to breaking the bread, to prayer? Is that really going on in my life? And then we'll give ourselves a grade. Maybe we're doing pretty good. Maybe we're not doing so good. But at the end of the day, no matter what we're giving ourselves in terms of a grade, we all put ourselves under the burden and obligation of, but I could do a little bit better. I could read my Bible just a little bit more. Or maybe I could listen to podcasts on the way to work instead of the radio. Or maybe if I could just sign up for another weeknight Bible study, then that could like increase my devotion to the Bible. Or maybe it's not so much the Bible, maybe I'm doing that really good, I'm just not praying enough, or I'm not hosting enough people over at my house to be part counted as one who's hospitable, so I really don't fit the grid of you know that kind of person that's accomplishing fellowship. It's our tendency as people, when we hear that kind of idea in the Bible, devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, all those kind of things, that we begin to say, you know what, I'm not devoted enough, I've got to be more devoted. This is about me getting things, getting my act together, getting my life together, and I've got to increase devotion for my life, because I'm just not pulling it off. But it doesn't stop there because there's more stuff. When we look at verse 43 and we read that all came upon every soul and there were signs and wonders going on, here's what we do. We say, you know what? Uh, I haven't seen a lot of signs and wonders around here, so I'm beginning to wonder if this is even a good church to be a part of. Because clearly signs and wonders are, are, is sort of like the standard of whether or not God's really with you. And I've heard that, you know, the church right down the street, they might have some signs and wonders going on. So I'm a little bit interested to find out what's going on there because it sounds a lot like signs and wonders. And, and clearly, if there's not signs and wonders, it must mean that my pastor's not any good. Sorry, Jeremy. Maybe there are. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll fix this in a minute. But the law that we begin to create for ourselves is this. God's not using you unless you're doing something impressive and amazing. That's what we think to ourselves. When we read in Scripture that signs and wonders are going on, and we look at our life, I look at my life. Let me just help you out here. I don't see many signs and wonders. I haven't healed anyone lately. My daughter's had a cold for at least two weeks, and I can't do anything but get her tissues. All right? There are not signs and wonders going on in my life. And when I read Scripture from this perspective that it's about something that I need to do to fix so that I'm more legit before God, and I hear that there's signs and wonders, I put myself under the burden of trying to pull off some kind of sign and wonder, or I just feel super guilty because I'm not doing any of those things. There are no signs and wonders. This is what we tend to do with the Word of God. Verse 44 says, all who believed were unified. Here's what we do when we think as if it's a law. We want to ensure that everything one thinks like us. Now, you just look around the room. How is that possible? You've got to think like me now. That's what every one of us tends to think. You guys should think like me. That's the bend of the human heart. Think like me. It's selfishness. 
And when we read that all the believers were together and had everything to com- in common, and we think to ourselves that that's some standard that we need to kind of represent as a church, then we think it's our job to fix everyone who thinks differently than us, which clearly doesn't pull off unity. It only causes fights and divisions and quarrels among us, right? I mean, that's what it does. But it's also what we do. We think, okay, if there's unity, we need to make that happen. It's part of our job as good Christians, good church people. We need to be unified. So what do I got to do to make people unified? I got to express my opinion and get people to be on the same page as me. That's what we do. Verse 45. They were free from the allure of material possessions because they were giving things away and being gracious and generous. Here's what we think. Man, I'm not doing that very well. I don't give very much to the church, and I don't give very much to other people. So until I start giving more, I'm really just less legitimate than those who give more than me. We, we, we create law, and when we create law out of God's word, we put ourselves in the burden, under the burden and obligation, and even the guilt of what that law creates for ourselves. That's what we do. Verse 45, daily interaction at the temple, at home, at work, glad and generous hearts. The law idea there would be that our level of attendance and participation qualifies us and equates to our level of approval before God. I didn't didn't come to church enough. I didn't go to enough meetings. The more meetings that I go to, the more times I go to church, the more times God will like me. I need to be more involved. I need to do more, do more, do more, try harder. In fact, that's, that's the summary idea as we're wrapping up that section from a bad perspective. The law always puts us under the obligation to do more and try harder and basically says you're not, you're not cutting it. The pressure is on. That's what the law does to us. And we have the tendency to read law into anything that goes on in Scripture because we desperately want something good and rich and wholesome and fresh and lightning to happen that we're, we're convinced that if we do the right things, that will come to pass. But what I'm trying to let you know, what I'm trying to let you know is the gospel is like, is like being on a boat and there's a wake. David in Psalms said it this way, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Get that idea? It's the wake of the gospel that creates an unbelievable, beautiful community. It's not anything that we have to do. This is what God will do for us. This is what the gospel will do without you trying. So rather than looking at this passage from a prescriptive, I've got more work to do, I'm not pulling it off. I want you to look at this as a gift from God, because here's what will happen. If this community is a community devoted to the discovery of the gospel, the demonstrating of the gospel to one another, the declaring of the gospel to one another, if we're learning anew, week after week after week, the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus... If, if Jesus is increasing and we are decreasing, if Jesus is being lifted up, then this is, the, this is the result that you cannot make happen. God is going to do for you, not you for God. The first thing that will happen is your devotion will increase. 
Now, devotion, again, this is verse 42. It's the key word for uh, all of those things, right? It's the, the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. All of that hinges back to the idea of devotion. Here's what I want to let you know. This is actually relieving. You cannot manufacture devotion. I want to tell you what I'm talking about. If you were to pay me money, I could act like a UGA fan, but I would never be one. Even if you said, I'll give you a million dollars to be a UGA fan, I'd get me a red shirt and white pants and... I'd, I'd put a dog face on me and cheer, go dogs. But, but there would be nothing in me because there's nothing in me that says I'm devoted to that school and to what that school represents for me. But on the other hand, and you, this is just sick and twisted. God has a sense of humor, I'm telling you. On the other hand, if you said, uh, tell me about your interest for Georgia Tech, I'd be like, I love Georgia Tech. And you would say, why? And I would have to respond awkwardly back. I don't know. I wasn't even excited about their win yesterday against Wofford. It was kind of disappointing. All right? But the reason you can, we cannot manufacture devotion. You can't just say, I am now going to be devoted to this thing. Anytime you are doing that, and a lot of us do that with church, it should be a red flag that you're not devoted. And it's okay. You're not yet there at a point of devotion to God, to the church, to the mission. That's all right. God's going to get you there. You don't have to force your way and fake your way into being devoted to something. Be where you are. God's grace is good enough to have brought you where you are now, and His grace is going to be good enough to bring you where you need to be later. Quit trying to outrun God. Just be where you are. If you're not devoted, that's okay. God will create devotion because that's the only way it comes about. Devotion comes to pass when something or someone outside of ourselves does something for us or to us whereby we become devoted back to it. If you want to take the idea of like my interest in Georgia Tech, when I was little, my dad and I bonded over the idea of pulling for Georgia Tech. I have roots back to my heritage as a child that they make that moment significant. There were a few times... A few where Georgia Tech won a game. And it was a, it was a sweet moment where I celebrated and it was a joyful thing. And the reason that I would have affection or devotion to that team today has everything to do with the past experience that sort of gained it. And that's the same for you, too. You know why you pull for whatever, you know why you're devoted to whatever you're devoted to? Because it gives back something to you. It creates a sense of community for you. Somehow it validates you. It makes you feel more justified and significant to be devoted to that thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be devoted to it. It, it provides something to you. And here in the scriptures, what we see these people experiencing is a devotion to God because of Jesus. Do you see how... It's essential that the gospel be created, recreated, and retold over and over again every Sunday, every time you gather. Because to the direct relationship between how much gospel we're helping one another to experience and explore and discover, that will trigger and create on its own a greater devotion to God. I, 
I say this a lot lately because it just, I, I don't know how to say it in another way. I, uh, one day I hope God will give me a better way to say it. But you know what? If I were somehow blessed to be able to really explain to you the significant and eternal, lasting, holistic impact of the cross, which I am not, but if I were somehow to give you that full dose of, look what Jesus has done. Every one of you would be gut-wrenched, slammed with emotion in tears, and totally amazed with God, and be forever changed, ready to do whatever you wanted to do, because you realized that God had taken care of everything you needed in your whole entire life, and all the stuff that you'd been freaking out and worrying about all your life is no longer anything to worry about at all, and now you can just rest and relax and know that God's going to take care of you, because that's exactly what He promises in His Word. I'm telling you, I, I can't convey that to you. I I want to convey that to you. I want you to know that everything you need is secured for you, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything Christ has done. This journey following Jesus is not contingent on your behavior. If it was, none of you would be qualified, nor I, because I constantly fall short of the standard of perfection set by God and affirmed by Jesus. I can't pull it off. Thank God for unending grace that continually flows from Jesus, who says it doesn't matter, I love you unconditionally, a foreign concept to the human heart. Unconditional love. You can't do anything to lose the gift of grace given to you. All the stuff that you've been worrying about this week, all the stuff that you've been afraid that you just don't know, none of that, it all fades when you recognize the significance of who Jesus is and what he's done. And when that volume gets cranked up in your heart, your devotion follows. Because you begin to go, oh, what a gift. What a gift to be loved by God. I, I can't believe how good it is to be counted as one of God's children, to be, to be taken care of, to be blessed, to know that no matter what happens in this life, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how ugly I get it, God's going to continue to love me. Love me for eternity. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to make all things new. This is really good news. I can go eat donuts now. Because it doesn't matter. It it does matter, right? Horizontal consequence, like literally. Horizontal consequences, all right? That does happen. Yes, it does. Amen. All right. uh, Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What we need to recognize is that that devotion comes as a byproduct of receiving the gospel message. It's not something you need to generate. It's something God's going to give to you. Next verse. Verse 43. All... And uh, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You might say, well, how, how does this really show up? Uh, and here's how it shows up. Uh, awe and wonder always happens in a gospel-centered environment. Anytime you begin helping people realize that the burden and expectation for living out the Christian life isn't on them, but it's on Jesus, and that rather than thinking that they've got to behave themselves and clean up their act, Jesus is just going to take care of that for them, you will see awe and wonder. You will see God do amazing things. You, I'm not talking about people doing amazing things. I'm talking about God doing amazing things in people's hearts and lives so that you're walking away from those conversations going, that is freaking amazing. I can't believe that, that that's happening in that person's life. That's an awe and wonder. That's a sign that God will do in the church as the gospel is proclaimed. Legalism says God will love us if we change. 
The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. And when we experience the change that comes from God's love for us, it evokes awe and wonder in our heart. It's like a boat, and it's like the wake that comes in the boat. The gospel is that boat, and these are the things that the gospel produces. Devotion to teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, the the cultivation of an environment of awe and wonder all follows as the gospel is being proclaimed. This is something God will give you as a gift, church. Verse 44, all who believed were unified. You know what they're unified by? The good news of the gospel. The gospel is unifying because it levels the playing field and says, all of you guys are messed up and jacked up and aren't any good. Me too, says the preacher. Me, maybe more than you, because I know so much of this stuff and should actually be behaving a lot better than I am, but I'm not. Thanks be to God that God would save a wretch like me and you and all of us. And when we look outside in the world and we see people doing really dumb things, what we should not say is, how dare they? We should say, oh man, me too. I'm right there doing the same kind of dumb stuff that they're doing. And if it wasn't for the grace of God to expose my heart to my need for Jesus, I would never be delivered out of that darkness. I would just go further up into it because I would be searching desperately for something to give me satisfaction and peace. And that's all that the world's doing. We find our satisfaction and peace in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And it's the gospel and the message of the gospel alone that becomes the unifying factor for the church. God gives this to you as a gift, church. It is not something you have to pursue. Rest in the gospel and unity will follow. Verse 45 says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You know why? Because they're free from the allure of material possession. Because I don't need that stuff anymore to make me feel legitimate, significant, secure, comfortable, or right. I am free to sell those things and give them away so that people can have the things that they need. Listen to this amazing quote. It's by a pastor named Tullian Savision. He says this, God reminds us again and again that the things between he and us are forever fixed. God declares through the gospel in concrete terms that the debt has been paid, the ledger put away, and that everything we need in Christ we already possess. This good news produces humility because we realize that our needs are fully met by Jesus. So we don't have to worry about ourselves anymore. The gospel functions to free us to stop looking out for what we need and liberates us to love our neighbor by looking out for what they need. If we really discover that everything we truly need, we have in Christ, when that day comes for us, or as that day progressively comes for us, that more and more we realize that the very things that we're looking for in these other choices, these pursuits, we already have in Jesus, as that truth becomes more, we're freed from the pursuit of those things, we're freed from needing other things for ourselves because those things are giving us something, now we realize we already have it, and we can stop pursuing and following that game, and we can start being investing in other people and helping them discover what they really need. It's not the new car, the new house, the new job, the new money, None of those things have it. I know we're all after financial security, but guess what? It won't, you won't have it. How, how, much, how much more money do you need? 
Whatever you say, once you get there, you won't feel like you're comfortable when you have that money. You will only say, I just need a little bit more money. That stuff never ends. It ends in Christ when we realize what we really need, we already have because of what Jesus has done for us. That's when we really get free. Free from being needy. Because we've already got it. Christ has given it all. This is a gift. It's the wake of the gospel. Verse 46 says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in the homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. All of a sudden, the gospel has this holistic effect on community, and our lives become intertwined and interdependent because we can't, we can't wait to see one another because we are the league of the undeserving. We are the, we're the people who, who are broken together and are okay with our brokenness. Because, because Jesus is okay with it. And because if, if Jesus, our great Father in heaven, is saying, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry, it's okay. I, I have to say this to my children. I have an have inherent rule breaker and I ha- have an inherent rule keeper. This is just the way God has blessed me and my family. We have three kids. I don't know what the third one is, but the other two I know. All right, Rule breaker, rule keeper. And the rule breaker, I have to give her grace because she's always breaking the rules and I have to kind of let her know, you can't break the rules, but I love you even though you're breaking the rules. And then I have a rule keeper who gets all kinds of bent out of shape when the other two aren't following the rules. And I have to tell her, it's okay. I love them and you're very upset about them breaking the rules, but if daddy says it's okay, then you have to also say it's okay because it's okay. And as we look around in our life in this room, guess what? They're rule breakers, they're rule keepers, and then they're people we don't know what they're doing, all right? Just like my other daughter, my third daughter. I don't know where they are. They're not rule keepers, they're not rule breakers. They're just here, and they're having a good time, all right? (laughs) As we're looking around and we're experiencing life together, there'll be people that just want to keep the rules, and they're all about following the rules. And there'll be people that want to break the rules, and they're always breaking the rules. And then there'll be people be just sort of in the middle, And if our Heavenly Father is saying, I forgive the rule breaker, I forgive the rule keeper, and I forgive the one that we don't know what's going on, it's just blanket forgiveness and I love you no matter what. If God our Father is saying that, then we can say it with one another. And then all of a sudden this becomes a safe place. You know why? Because of course I'm guilty. Of course I'm guilty. Of course I'm arrogant. Do this, I guess. Of course I'm selfish. Yes, absolutely. Twice as much than you think. If you you really knew me, you'd really not like me. But it's okay. Because Jesus has forgiven that. And he is going to perfect this imperfection that's going on in my life. That's the promise of God. It's not the labor put on you. You better straighten your act up and mature as a Christian. You can't. You can't pull that off. That comes as a gift of grace through the proclamation of the gospel. As the gospel is proclaimed, faith increases. As faith increases, which is realizing that God loves us, that our love is coming from him, that's where faith comes from. That frees us up to feel loved so that we can love one another. So how does this thing get fixed? It gets fixed by the gospel cutting through the water and creating a wake in the community of God's people. Whereby they're unified, they're free from needing possessions, and they're, they're bonding together as a community, gathering as often as they can because they can't wait to see one another and just talk about how broken they are and how much God loves them. That's what, that's what the gospel does for us. And that's good news. Because it isn't up to you, and it isn't up to me. 
the burden of looking like Acts 2, 42 through 47, which is a beautiful snapshot of what Luke grabbed when he was like, what did it look like when the people were all together and we were following Jesus together? It looked like this beautiful thing. Rather than feeling burdened by all those characteristic traits that we see Scripture describing, here's what we can know. That's a coming gift that God is cultivating and building up in his church, and he will do it exponentially so as we rest in the gospel. So do you, want to be, do you want to be a part of a community that is growing in their devotion to God's word, to one another, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, where we're seeing God do amazing things and it's, we're just saying this is totally awesome and wonderful that what is God is doing in people's lives and it's building cohesive unity among us because rather than worrying about like doctrinal nitpicky stuff, we're just focusing on the good news of Christ And we're willing to give things up because we don't really see the even need for pursuing those things anymore. We're gathering together as often as possible with glad and generous hearts because we really like each other. You create an environment like that, which you can't make it happen, but God can. When God creates that environment for you, the Lord will add to that number. You know why? Because that's a very attractive thing. People want to be part of that. People want to be part of a group of people that recognize their neediness and brokenness, aren't afraid to talk about it, and talk about it with enough openness that it's not fake and religious, but it's authentic and real, and who turn, rather than to say the solution is, me and you cleaning up our act and behaving ourselves better than we behaved before, they turn to Jesus and say, no, 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 my solution is at the cross. My solution is Jesus. He's already taking care of this. I know I'm a mess. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm needy, but Christ is going to deliver me out of all of my brokenness and neediness. He'll make all things new. He'll wipe away every tear from every eye. What I'm saying is, I'm putting all my money on Jesus fixing me rather than me fixing me. Because I've tried fixing me, and I'm not very good at it. I get exhausted, I burn out, and I feel like a failure. Because I am. Because I don't do it. But when I say it's not about me, it's just about Jesus, he's going to take care of me. I'm relieved, I'm free, I'm relaxed, I can rest. I can know that God will take care of us. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of this church. Because that is exactly what he came and died for. To bring this type of community to life right here. And I know that's what you want. Because that's what I want. I want it in Greenville, you want it in Augusta. But we shouldn't just want it here. We should want it in other places. People need to know that they can be forgiven and loved unconditionally. People need to know that the gift of God's righteousness isn't just a one-time thing, but it's an ongoing thing. His forgiveness, his forgiveness isn't just once, it's ongoing. His love isn't once, it's ongoing. Deeper and deeper and deeper goes the gospel. And we've got to follow it with us. It's like a boat. It's doing that thing where it's creating that V. It's creating that wake. This is the wake of the gospel. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for uh, the gift of your son Jesus Christ who died on the cross to set us free, to bring us to peace, to awaken us to joy, to speak relief into our lives. Thank you that, that because Jesus declares it is finished... We don't have to worry about 
how much we need to fix ourselves, God. If it's finished on the cross, if you've done everything necessary, God, then you will carry it on. You will complete it. God, help us like like the people who stood before Peter hearing the gospel. God, bring your spirit and cut us to the heart so that, that we can be relieved from the bondage of keeping up with the law. That we can know that, that change means laying down all of our efforts, all of our best works, all of our attempts for righteousness, and receiving the gift of your righteousness. God, help us to see that the thing that we need most is found at the cross and nowhere else. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.